Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are in the middle of a series that we're calling Grow, which is our Lent series. Lent is a time of year where God's people have uh, set aside space to focus on and prepare themselves for Easter Sunday, this day that we celebrate new life and resurrection and the fact that our God isn't dead, He's alive, He's well, He's at work, and, uh, and doing it in us and in this place. And so Lent is a time where a, a lot of traditions are that we, we fast and we take things out, so we get off Facebook and we don't drink uh, coffee and uh, we don't eat food that we like and we don't watch TV shows and then we feel, you know, real cathartic and, and holy and all this kind of deal. And, th- and that's good, right? Fasting is a wonderful discipline. But we wanted to, to kind of reverse fast here at DR. And we wanted to just talk about things that we want to add into our rhythm as we prepare for Easter. And so we've spent some time over the last few weeks. We talked about that our God is speaking and so we want to read our Bible and pray. We've talked about that our God lays down his life, and so we're on mission. And then last week we talked about that God makes us a family, that this is who God is. He is a plurality, and that he creates community, and he creates a specific kind of community. So we pursue that with one, and we pursue relationship. Uh, Today we're going to talk about uh, the fact that our God is generous, and so we grow in our giving. And, uh, and every week we have introduced somebody to you who uh, is just pursuing this and, and trying to work this out. And so this week, uh, you're going to get a familiar face. Uh, Tony Tucci, who normally does our announcement is an, and is an elder candidate here, uh, has just gone through a journey over the last few years around generosity that's just been really encouraging to me. And so we wanted to give you an opportunity to hear from him. So why don't you welcome Tony as he comes up and talks to us about this. Thanks. All right. We'll raise this up a little bit. Well, so what we're talking about is the, the idea of generosity and, and giving. Honestly, and so in talking with some of the guys, I was sharing a little bit of my story around God's generosity to me and my family. And so I was going to stay broad with it, but Tim's like, hey, if you want to just have some freedom to speak, I, you know, and so I'm going to speak as comfortably as I, as candidly as I can, and hopefully you guys will be blessed by it. So um, my, my wife and I, Kirsten, we moved to Madison about nine years ago, and um, we were really excited about it, really really young, couple kids, and uh, started working here in the city. I, I work for a real estate company here in town, and um, things were going all right, you know, and we were fine and that kind of thing, and um, I made some decisions that I probably shouldn't have had. We moved here with zero debt, okay? Moved here with z- zero debt, and then right after we got here, I just kind of started, like, piling on stuff, thinking, like, this overly optimistic, like, I'll just be able to borrow this now and pay it off later when things go well, right? Like, no one's ever done that before, Right? I'm the only one that's ever done that. So, um, so when getting into do and, and starting to do that, I just started, I thought I could get myself out of this financial hole I had dug myself in. And then I got really, really involved in, actually in, in this church, in Damascus Road, when it first started, right? And so getting really involved there, thinking I was really, really important, thinking that I needed to be involved in everything, and thinking I could do everything 
honestly, I kept digging myself in more of a hole um, as I just really wasn't being responsible. And so a lot about, uh, I learned a lot about my own need for people's approval, right? And pr- keep doing things because people ask me to. Meanwhile, like going deeper and deeper into debt. And so... Um, Kind of humbling because in my family, I'm like the responsible one. And, you know, not that my family's not responsible, but I'm always very, I was very frugal and always very neat and tidy with my finances and that kind of thing. But then started getting swallowed by some of this debt. And so, uh, for a period, it wasn't giving. And so it wasn't giving to the church, wasn't giving how I knew I should be, and really, really got convicted about it. And um, my wife and I were at such a, I mean, I'll just be dead honest with you guys. I mean, it was embarrassingly bad, right? Like, I, I was behind on my income taxes. Like, it was bad, right? And uh, just really embarrassing. And so um, I had some people that love me and love me uh, enough to speak harshly to me to the point where... Like, he was speaking things to Kirsten and I, and I'm, like, weeping about it, you know. And he's like, you need to repent. I'm like, okay, I will. You know, like, <laughs> like oh, my gosh. So, that, th- this gets, I, I, I thought I was, like, my provider. I thought I was the one who kind of had to do it all. I thought I had to be the one who had to do it all, like, financially, and had to be all these things. And the thing that Kirsten and I really learned was, um, I'm not my own provider, God is our provider, and God is so faithful to us. And what happened was, I didn't think I could afford to give because I had debt. I had debt to some banks. I had debt to my pops, who doesn't earn a lot. Like, I borrowed more than I should have from him, being like, Dad, I'm, I'm crushing it right now in real estate. He's like, hey, this is a lot. I'm like, I'll figure it out, you know? And he's like, okay, here you go. I trust you and I love you, but I don't think this is a great idea. And he still bowed it to me, which goes to show you his either naivety or generosity. One of the two. I don't know. There's a thin line. So, so then I'm feeling all this stuff on me. I'm like, oh, Lord. And so we just repented before the Lord just for some bad. So number one, for some bad decisions that we had made financially by being irresponsible. And number two, for not trusting for him for his provision. So we started digging ourselves out. Just kind of got some stuff in my life in order. Um, started to... Uh, get, and all of this stuff is the kind of thing that no one probably knew what was going on, right? Like, this is me, at the end of the day, being like, ah, just feeling the weight of it, right? And on the outside, I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm responsible. And everyone's like, yeah, you're responsible, you know? And I'm like, Ugh. you know? So, um, long, I mean, I don't want to go too long, but the thing was this. Um, when we started trusting God, and we started giving, something inexplainable happened, Okay, I didn't think I could afford it. And I read this verse. This is in Malachi 3.10. This is the great giving verse, right? So Malachi 3, if you go back to 9, God's rebuking his people for robbing him. Right? In Malachi 9, he's like, you've been robbing me. And then he goes into verse 10. But bring the full tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, thereby put me to the test. When I read that, I was like, oh, I'll put you to the test. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, okay, so start writing checks. You know? And I'm like, oh, that's what that means? Put you to the test? He's like, yeah. And then the next part says, says the Lord of hosts, put me to the test. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, and I will rebuke the devourer for you. I'm going to stop there. So this crazy thing happens where Kirsten and I humble ourselves. We start giving. I start paying my dad back. Start doing these kind of things. Take some... Take some shots on my credit. Take some shots on my pride. Really. I, really. Like the pride piece was kind of a big one. 
and um, start writing some checks back to get out of debt, and I'm starting giving back to the church and giving generously to the church and giving the tithe, right? And stuff starts happening that should not have happened. Like when, when he says here, test me to see if the wind, if I won't pour out the, wind, the blessings of heaven, uh, pour out for you the blessing until there's no more need. He's going to pour out blessing. And not only that, there's people who are chopping at the bit to get at you, the devourer, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop them. I'm going to silence them, right? I'm going to rebuke them. So he's like, listen, this guy is testing me. And he's, I'm going to pour out the blessing on him. And I'm going to tell this guy to shut his mouth, the devourer. And I'm going to bless him. And we lived in that, inexplainably. And so God started blessing us and I, I, in ways that shouldn't have happened, right? We got out of debt quicker than I thought we were able to. And, and the thing is this. Then I started making money again. And here's the hiccup that happened. I'm like, I started making money. And I'm like, oh, I got to write that check. And I got to put another zero on the end. Oh, you know what I mean? I hiccuped. And I'm like, and it was almost God was being like, hey, man, I got you out of this mess. Now you're going to say you did it? You little punk. You want to, should we start over? You know, should we go back to where you were when you were, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. So write the check quickly. You know what I mean? And the, just, get it to, just get it done. And here's the thing that I learned. Here's the thing that I learned. There's an inexplainable blessing that comes when you trust the Father for his provision. And his generosity is so much beyond anything we could ever imagine. Like when we think of generous, we have like some comprehension for what generosity would look like, right? When God thinks of generous, he'll blow your mind. He will blow your mind. So that's why he says, just test me. Just see. It's a heart condition. It's not an affordability condition. It's an obedience and a trusting issue of giving. Right, so my encouragement to you is this: that if you're if you're at that spot where you're like, man, I can't afford to give, and I don't know if I can. It's not it's not that the church is like, we need your money. You know what I mean? It's this: God wants to bless you and protect you and be your provider. And some of this has gotten so skewed when we see like the greedy guys in the suit be like, so into my ministry, brother. You know, give me your money. You know that guy. You're like, yeah, that guy. Whatever. It's a little weird, right? Which I'm talking about God position to you, right? And so we were blessed by trusting in God's provision and giving, just starting to be faithful. Just give those first fruits. Just give them. Just give them. And stuff starts happening and I can't explain it. And so out of God's generosity, we've been then but trusting his provision and then giving out of that. And it's been really sweet. Now that's not to say that I'm not going to hiccup again, Right? Or that I'm not going to be like, you know, get greedy and prideful again. I hope not. Right? But seeing God's faithfulness time and time again in this area is really, it's really been a blessing for me and my family. So my encouragement to you would be this. Take God at his word and take that challenge. Trust him. Giving is not an affordability issue. It's an obedience and a trust issue. And the blessing comes when you trust the Father for your provision, not your own. Because he can do a bit, let's be honest, he'll do a way better job than you will. He'll do a way better, he sure did a way better job than I, than I was doing. And so, that's kind of my story. That was probably more than five minutes. Take it away. I'll leave that. Do you see him start to put it back down? How condescending would that have been? <laughs> I'll put it back down for you, Shorty. Um, I, I, man, I, I, I really want to affirm Tony in front of you guys. Tony was really trans. Like when he's telling you about that extra zero conversation, he, I, I knew about that at the time. And uh, 
I just I'm ve- I'm incredibly blessed and, and very proud of what God has done in Tony and what God let what Tony let God do in his heart and uh, and as we uh, were considering him to be an elder here at DR, uh, one of the things that we look at is giving, and so uh, I can tell you uh, his story is legit. He's been faithful to grow in generosity. And so we're thankful for him, and thanks for doing that, Tony. So uh, why don't you stand with me? Let me read our text here today. I'm going to keep building that out. I don't know about this testimony thing. They stand up and preach this fantastic message, and i got to come up on the heels of it. Uh, but uh, we're going to keep building this out a little bit. We're not going to go long, so just hang with. But here, here's our text for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And this is Paul speaking to a church at Corinth, this young church in this urban environment about generosity. And I want you to listen to what he says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they have overturned or overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So I want you to think about that dichotomy here, right? A, A severe test of affliction, an abundance of joy, extreme poverty, and wealth of generosity. All in the same sentence, right? Uh, Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they also gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus as he had started, so that he should complete among you this act of grace. Okay, I want you to hang on to that idea that this grace of giving, giving is an act of grace, and as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in all love, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And God, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us candidly and concretely. Lead us to a new place of trust, lead us to a new place of hope, lead us to a new place of blessing, so that you could be glorified in our lives, and so that we could worship you accordingly. We love you, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's how I want to get at this. Go ahead and have a seat. Here's how I want to get at this. I, I want to talk about, um, about cynicism. Cynicism. Uh, cynicism is this... Reality in which we have a, a innate distrust of something. And, and I'm going to be straight with you. Uh, Madison is a very cynical town. Can I get an amen? amen. Madison's a very distrusting town. And, and if you really want to get at the thing under the thing, distrust is to have something either happen to us or to observe something happen that either harms us or, or destabilizes us. And we make the decision, whether consciously or subconsciously, to begin to look at other events through those lens. And so something happens to me, and I I put that event on like a pair of glasses, and I look at other things that happen, and I make correlations between what happened to me and what's happening now. That's the act of cynicism. Whenever people think about the church, who are not a part of the church, maybe even even if they are a part of the church, One of the emotions that comes up is cynicism. Why? Because uh, lots of us have had experiences at church or heard about things happening at church that ought not be. And so what do we do? We put on the lens of distrust. The problem with that becomes that when you're talking about 
inviting people into placing their faith in God, inviting people into relationship with God, trust and distrust becomes a really important piece to that, right? And so cynicism keeps people from investigating the claims of Jesus because they don't trust the people of God. What did Mahatma Gandhi say? Is that I, I, I appreciate Christ, it's those Christians. It's those Christians. And so I want to talk about this idea of generosity in this regard. We can stand up and we can talk about ideology and theology as much as we want. It's ultimately not tangible if it doesn't translate into activity and in deeds. And generosity is one of the most tangible ways that you can put in front of the world, we have different values because we serve a different king. It doesn't mean that generosity uh, removes all distrust or cynicism, but it puts an objective, uh, a generous group of people according to this grace of God, according to this act of generosity that, that forces people to say, okay, there's not a lot of truly generous groups of people. What's up with these folks? And so when we're talking about generosity, uh, generosity is, is important when it comes to mission because it, it gives people an opportunity to look objectively about what God's doing, not in a, we believe this and think this is going to happen, God will work. No, in a real tangible, real practical, you can look at a bank statement and you can see it. And so cynicism is, is uh, counteracted by generosity. And so when we think about cynicism, I want you to think about it in, in two ways. I want you to think about, about art and frames. Okay? About art and frames. Uh, about a year ago, I took my son to the Milwaukee Art Museum. There he is. So cute and handsome. Right? Thank God he has a pretty mom. Um, we went to the art museum, and I, I've talked to you before that I was very, very close to going to art school. I, I love art. I appreciate art. And any opportunity that I have to go to an art museum, uh, I, I, I take it. And, and here's the thing about, about art. Art is way better in person than it is in a book. It's way better in person. I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam, and I went to the Van Gogh or Von Hull Museum, and I see that... Sun, how many of you guys have seen the sunflower that Van Gogh painted? Yeah, and, and you look at it in a magazine and go, wow, that's... You stand in front of that, it is, it's a sacred moment. And, and it's a dimensional thing. Van Gogh painted with uh, real uh, thick oil paint, and so if you ran your hand over that painting, you would, you'd be doing this. Uh, art is always better... In person. It's always better in person. Uh, and when you go into an art museum, everything in the museum is intended to accentuate the art. The lighting is intended to accentuate the art. The, the frame is intended to accentuate the art. And nobody comes home from an art museum and says, i got to tell you, <laughs> that lighting was awesome. <laughs> you should have seen this frame. You should have I mean... Noah did not come home and run in the door and say, Mommy, I, I saw a phenomenal frame today. <laughs> the art is the point. The frame uh, accentuates the point. It responds to the point. The art is the point. So let me, let me tell you why this is important. <laughs> um, if I take that example and I connect it to generosity, um, generosity is easier when you receive it in person. Right? In other words, for those of us who have received the grace and generosity of God in person, in flesh and blood, 
to have it in a dimensional, multicolored reception of God's love and grace to us. It should change the way that we think about our stuff and about our money. It really, if, if we're going to be honest, and I, and I want to say this in all love, it really shouldn't be a super hard issue. Because I've seen it in person, I've felt it in person, I've received it in person, I've experienced it in person. The second part to that is, in this equation, uh, you and I are simply the frame. We aren't the art. The grace of God is the art. And the reason that this is important is because a lot of times, you'll hear pastors stand up and they've got a three-point outline on why why you should be generous. And it's essentially this. Because you're the frame, because you're the frame, because you're the frame. There's no way for me to accentuate your role in generosity that doesn't create legalism and moralism for you. I have to start with the art. Because it's the point. Because it's what's beautiful. Because it's what's transcendent. Because it's what's sacred. And so, as we talk about this idea of generosity, I want you to have that art and frame idea in your head. And we're going to start with the art. Now, we're going to talk about the frame. And I'm going to talk to you real practically about the frame. But listen to me. You don't have a frame if there ain't art. Right? You don't have a frame if there isn't art. Uh, in, in our living room, uh, because we're uh, semi-hipster, we have a bunch of frames with nothing in it. Right? All these different vintage frames. And I can't tell you the amount of people who walk in and go, did you forget to put a picture in it? <laughs> Whatever. Go. Right? People assume if there's a frame, there's going to be art. So what is the art when it comes to generosity? Here it is. Number one is the character of God. Number two is the promises of God. When we think about the character of God, I want you to reframe John 3.16 in the context of generosity. For God so loved the world that He... His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten... I want you, I want you to quantify generosity in looking at God the Father's giving of God the Son. I want you to think about the the heart of love. I want you to think about the, the freedom of generosity. I want you to think about the valuing that God places on His Son and the inferred valuing that God places on us simply by His objective willingness to be generous with Jesus. His objective willingness to be generous with Jesus tells us something about the heart of God. You can in here today, if you have questions about what God thinks about you, do you know where you should look? You should look at his objective willingness to give his son to get you. The generosity of God. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it talks about if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sins. Do you realize that, that, that forgiveness is a generous act? Forgiveness is for me to be harmed by you and me to say, I will bear the penalty, the cost of your action in order to give you forgiveness. Tim Keller talks about forgiveness being like a death process. You, have to, you almost have to, to die to your expectations, die to what you hoped it was going to be, die to what might have been coming. You have to say, I'm going to bear all of that to offer you forgiveness. Forgiveness is ultimately generous. It's fundamentally generous. And here's what God says. If we confess our sins, and what does confess mean? It just means to agree. It just means to agree. If I come to God and I say, God, you know what, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. God says, I am faithful and I'm just to be generous in forgiveness. 
to be generous in forgiveness. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says that God's mercy, God's mercy is new. How often? Every morning. What if uh, you got direct deposit paid every morning <laughs> instead of on every other Friday? Every morning you wake up and it hits your phone. You have a direct deposit exceeding the amount that every single morning God's mercy is new to you. Every single morning, God, every single morning a deposit is made out of the character of God into your account. Into your account. Now when we think about mercy and grace, grace is to get something that we don't deserve. Mercy is to not get something that I do deserve. And so every single morning, God does not give me what I... It's like He forgives me anew every single morning. He does this generous act every single morning. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 tells us that God... We we aren't saved by our own works, but by the grace of God. God is generous in grace with us. To the extent that Paul says to the Romans that where your sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abounds. God's grace and God's generosity is so significant that the more you sin, the more generous He is. How would you like to have that set up? The more I go in debt, the more money I get. That would be a fantastic situation. God's grace is generous to us. In Romans 6 and Titus 1, God gives us eternal life. God gives us eternal life. In John 15, God gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us His Holy Spirit. James 1, He gives us wisdom. 1 John 4, He gives us love. Ephesians 4, He gives us unity. 1 Thessalonians 4, He gives us hope. 1 Corinthians 12, He gives us spiritual gifts. John, 1 John 1, He gives us fellowship. And then in James 1, it says this, that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Now, I, just want, I want you to not read over that. What that is saying is that Anything that you receive that you think to yourself, that was good, is from who? Is from, is from God. Do you realize that, that goodness does not exist in a world that God does not exist? In fact, I think that's what hell is. Hell is the absence of God and anything that comes along with Him. God says that He's so generous that anything that you think to yourself, that was good, was from Him. Now, now just go through your day today. We just got to surprise Barry and give him his five-year coin. That was good, wasn't it? And that's from God. We just had the opportunity to listen to Beth and the band lead us according to their gifts in fantastic worship. And it was, it was good. And that's from God. You went out there and you drank coffee that Dwayne made for your benefit, and you, it was hot, and it tasted good, and you said, oh, this is good, and that's from God. You're sitting in a padded chair that somebody made so that your butt doesn't get sore, and even though you don't think about it, trust me, it's good, and that's from God, <laughs> right? You had a good conversation with somebody today, you got a hug from somebody today, you might go to lunch Later on today, you might 
take a nap later on today. You might have a great meal today. You might hear a great song today. You might feel good about your week today. You might tell somebody you love them or have somebody tell you that they love you today. All of those are good and therefore all of them are from God. How generous is God (laughs) that anything you can think of as being good, he says it's from him. It's profoundly, profoundly generous. Now these promises that I want you to see in Acts chapter 20, just listen to these with me. God who is generous, who is exceedingly generous, who is profoundly generous, says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, In all of these things, in all of these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord, how he says himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, how would God know if it's better to give than to receive? Well, we just looked at it. Because that's who God is. Because that's what God does. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37. God gives us this promise. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Luke chapter 6 and verse 37 says, Judge not and you will be not judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And most of us start there. See, I told you. Not allowed to judge people. But he goes on. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The measure that I give will be measured back to me. And there's this cultural reference to at the end of a day, whenever somebody had worked in the fields, they would kind of create a shelf out of their, uh, out of their clothing and they would dump wheat into into their lap and then they would kind of fold it up and they would take it home and that would be their dinner here's what he says what you invest into giving will be measured back to you that's a promise of god it's a promise of god second corinthians chapter 9 one more second corinthians chapter 9 in verse 6 says this the point is this <laughs> let me just bottom line all this for you Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This God who is deeply, profoundly, uniquely generous to us says, let me promise you something. If you mimic my generosity, not only will I be giving you something to mimic, but I will be generous to you because you mimicked me. God is generous enough to give us the example. God is generous enough because it's who He is to give everything that is good to us. And then He says, if out of my generosity you respond by, I mean there's even a movie, by paying it forward, I'll bless you back. The promises of God. The promises of God. So the art, as it were, is that, listen, anything that's good, beautiful, enjoyable, healthy, in a tangible, dimensional way, that's the art. That's the point. That's the beauty. 
So then what, what's the frame? The frame doesn't exist without the art. The frame isn't the point without the art, unless you're hipsters, right? The, the, the frame is there to accentuate the, the beauty. And the beauty is the grace of God. The beauty is the generosity of God. So, so what's the frame? Tradition has it that Martin Luther once said that every Christian should undergo three conversions. Three conversions. The first was a conversion of the heart. For God to change my heart, change what I love, change my values. The second was a conversion of the mind. So God, change my heart, change my life, change my values, change what I love, then change my mind, help me to think differently, help me to believe differently, help the framework and ideology of my life to be different. The third is a conversion of the pocketbook. The heart, the mind, and the pocketbook. And let me say this to you. In order for God to save you, convert your heart He has to go first. He saves me. He converts my heart. He changes my mind. And so here's what I want to put in front of you. Only the grace of God can change your pocketbook and your perspective on it. This is is really the easiest topic in the world to talk about. Because I know that I'm not going to change your mind. Because I know that I'm not going to convince you. I know that the Holy Spirit has to do that. Or you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to go, I feel really condemned. I feel, I feel guilty and, and you're, going to, you're going to opt for, for moralism and effort and legalism. That, that's not what we want. I want you to stand in front of the art of the grace of God and, say to, and, and have a transcendent experience. The beauty of the generosity of God. The, the wonder of the grace of God. And I want God to change your heart. I want God to change your mind. And I want God to change how you think about your stuff. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. So let me, let me give you a couple things to chew on in this regard. A couple things that I want you to process. The first is that, that generosity uh, in the Bible is not an abstract idea. It's a concrete idea. In other words, you can't be generous and not have it affect your money. You can't be like, well, I feel generous. Well, I feel like I'm seven feet tall, but I ain't. Right? I feel like I've got a whole head of velvety hair, but I don't. Alright? Feel it all you want. Feel it all you want. But when God talks about generosity, He's talking about concrete issues. He's talking about your budget. He's talking about first fruits, as Tony addressed. He's talking about dollars and cents. And so we need to just step back, and I'm saying this in all love, and I'm saying it, uh, admitting to you that I want this to be as abstract as possible because then I'm not accountable. But when the Bible talks about generosity, and when the Bible makes promises about generosity, he's not using metaphor and allegory. He's talking about concrete issues. And in order to do that, we need to redefine three things. The first I want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you still with me? Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm glad this side of the room is. Y'all can just sleep and I'll wake you up when I'm done. Alright? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. Paul says, Now as for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be 
rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, let me tell you what I did when I read through that verse. Paul was talking along, and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And then it goes, now to those that are rich, and I said, well, that's not me. Didn't you? I'm not rich. I, I, I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm firmly middle class, and that's not rich. So that doesn't apply to me. The first thing we need to do is we need to redefine what rich is. Now, normally this is the point at which I put a sad kid up on the screen, right? Oh, or I talk about how if you make this much money, you're in the 0.01% in the world. I'm, I'm not going to do any of that because that's not the point. Here is the point. Contentment is the point. And the point is that whenever we talk about somebody being rich, it's always the person in the tax bracket just above us. I read an article in Business uh, Insider a couple years ago, and it polled thousands of people. Tell me the amount of money that you would need to make for you to be truly happy. And they polled everyone from, from minimal wage to multimillionaires. And do you know what the average came out to? 25% more. I make minimum wage, just give me 25% more. I make a million bucks, just give me 25% more. What, what does that let you know? It lets you know that the human heart, just a little bit more. And whenever we think about somebody being rich, or as Tony was saying, being able to afford giving, for most of us, it's I'll start when I get just a little bit more. Right? When I start just a little bit more. And so we need to redefine the biblical conception that, listen, God is faithful to provide for us, and however He sees fit to provide for us, He calls us to be generous out of it. God doesn't quantify that, does He? God doesn't say, be generous if you're making 80K a year, but not if you're making 40, or 20, or 10. He says, be generous out, out of a response to the art. Frame it up. Frame it up. And so, you know, my kids, uh, we have this piggy bank for them. And they, you know, I'll empty my pockets of change and i got to divvy it up equally or we got major family drama. And they can take it to their piggy bank and it's spend and that's their favorite, right? I'll buy this and that and this and that when it gets full. And then it's save and then it's invest. And what's the, what's the last one? Give. Why are you teaching your kid to give when we're talking about 95 cents. Because if he learns to give with 95 cents, he'll be willing to give with 95 grand. If you won't be faithful with what God has already given you, you won't be faithful if God gives you more. You won't be faithful if God gives you more. So we need to redefine rich. Number two, we need to redefine safety. We need to redefine safety. Tony said this beautifully. What was the reason that Tony stopped giving? Ultimately, ultimately. Because he didn't believe that God would be faithful to provide. And that would mean that he wouldn't be safe. Listen, money isn't green paper. It's status and safety. And for a Christian, safety is found in our Savior, not in our stuff. That's a, that's a hard one to wrap our head around because I can sit 
I can sit in safety, right? <laughs> and, and, and I can't always feel God being present. I, I, I have tangible... I can go home. I can set the alarm. I can close the garage door. I can pay my bills. I feel safe. I feel safe. But God has always called His people to, to push against finding safety in anything other than Him. Why? Because He's the only fail-safe. He's the only fail-safe. And then lastly, we need to redefine success. Right? We need to redefine success. Whenever God talks about laying up for yourself treasure in heaven, and, and you know, that gets thrown around and ha-ha and all that, what's he saying? He, he's talking about redefining success. He's talking about making investment in the temporal, making investment in the eternal. And, and the realization that no matter how successful you are, if the commodity that you're investing in eventually goes completely away, it's a bad investment, right? Anybody who invests in that, if I were to say to you, here's the thing, you can invest uh, uh, a small amount and get a huge return, but in five years, at no control of your own, it's going to go completely away. How's that sound? No. That sounds terrible. But isn't that what we do? A day is coming at no control of your own where everything that you invest in that's temporal will go away. And we invest and invest and invest and invest and invest. Why? Because it makes us feel safe. uh, Because it makes us feel rich. And because it makes us feel successful. And so God comes along. and, And remember, God is the art and we're the frame God comes along and he says, listen to me, I promise you that if you'll trust me, if you'll respond to the art that I am, uh, that, that I'll bless you. And he gives us a couple ways. Listen to this. God says, if you grow in generosity, you will grow in your knowledge of God's grace. Anyone in here want to receive more deeply the grace of God? Yeah. God says, be generous. Be generous. God says, you'll have greater joy. God says you'll have greater freedom. God says you'll have greater purpose. God says you'll have greater eternal treasure. And God says you'll have greater faith if you give. And so here's, here's what I want you to do. And this next week on, on Facebook, on our website, out front, we've got hard copies of our Grow series. And we have a daily devotional for you. An opportunity for you to think deeply Stare into the art of God's grace for the next week. Okay? This opportunity for you to consider how generous God has been with you. Consider how gracious God has been with you. For you to be intentional about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put God to the test. Not in an abstract way. Okay, God, I'm going to be more generous. How? How? With what? To whom? And what I'm, what I'm asking you to do is I'm, I'm asking you to take a scary step of making a commitment to God that you are going to take a step, even if it's incremental, in growing in generosity. And I want you to make that commitment and I want you to tell someone. That's scary, isn't it? Because if you tell someone, then they're going to ask you if you are actually going to do it. But let's take all of these things that the enemy wants to keep in the abstract, keep in the vague, Keep in the, in the mysterious 
and let's bring them into the light. Let's stand fully in the presence of the art of God's grace. And let's say, I'm going to frame God's grace in an objective way. And in so doing, I want to receive everything that God has for me. And I know the only way I can do that is to take this terrifying step. Would you do that for me? This week, stare deeply into the art of God's grace and whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do in converting your heart, mind, and pocketbook. Be bold, be brave, put God to the test, and do it. Okay? Are we good? Do you feel guilty? You do? No! Wrong answer! Everyone's like, yes. Nope! I appreciate the honesty. All right, stand with me. A couple ways that I'd like you to, to respond. One is, uh, is to come up and, and let's just as a community uh, be reminded of God's grace to us on the cross by taking the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're going to do some singing together and be blessed in that regard. And then if you want to just start thinking now, want to start praying now, want to start conversing now, there'll be people to my left, your right, who can meet you in that and pray with you. Let's pray. God... I thank you for your faithfulness to, to my family. <laughs> I want to thank you for uh, your goodness to us, for your grace, for your provision, uh, for your faithfulness. God, um, help us to grow in boldness. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow in generosity. Ultimately, God, so that people can... So that people can have an objective understanding of the beauty of of who you are. And I pray that you'll use uh, the study, the conversations, the the courage that we're going to enter into in the next week. And that not, not for budget's sake, not for posterity's sake, but for a growing of our hearts, you'll help us to put you to the test. Uh, to mimic who you are, and that you'll be pleased with that. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.